It's just about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Thank you, Luada. I know that's a new song for you, but I'm telling you, watch that song. It is taken off on YouTube and at Jesus Image and, and Bethel and places like that because there's something happen, happening in heaven today that God is wanting to do on the earth. But listen, I've got to say this first. It's so good to be in a room full of a glow women. I mean, it's just different. You know, I, I haven't been in, really in a glow for 30, 35 years, something like that. And I've been in some hard places in other countries where I remember, well, I better not tell any of those stories. <laughs> I don't have time. I don't want to get in the way of what I know the Lord wants to say tonight. I'm absolutely captivated, Martha, with the title God gave you for this retreat. Just Jesus. That's right, isn't it? That's just, that's what we long for. That's what we're hungry for. That's what we want to hear about. There's something in our hearts that just longs for just Jesus. And we're hearing everything else, but we're really hungry for him. And I just really want to title my message today, Just Jesus. But I also want to give it a subtitle. And here's why. Sunday, last Sunday morning, I was in church at Impact Church in Kerrville, and, and our dear Elizabeth, you know, I, I love Elizabeth. She's so spiritual but so practical. I mean, she's a Mary and Martha in one. I just, I just don't know how you do that. Usually it's one way or the other. <laughs> and a lot of you, it was really hard to get here, wasn't it? <laughs> but you're here. Hallelujah. Everything's taken care of you, Hope, back home. <laughs> And we can relax, enjoy one another, and enjoy Jesus, just Jesus. But Elizabeth turned to me, and she says, she says, Sandy, I just want you to bring to us what it means to bring Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the reward of his suffering. My eyes teared up, and I went, oh, you know, usually your leader doesn't tell you what you're supposed to preach on. I like it when they do, because I'm still going to preach. I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach, but but I'm gonna, I can work it into their thing. But, but when she said that, it was like she reached into my heart and pulled out the passion of my soul. Every day I pray, God, please let me bring Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the reward of his suffering. So that's my subtitle tonight. Now I want to first bring you an understanding of how that term came about. It's not mine. That came from the Moravians. And I want to give you the background on that. Some of you probably have even been to the, the great place in it's North Carolina. Um, but, of course, it started in Germany. But I want to bring you that. I want to bring you the background for that. And then I want to bring you to a little season of where we just look at Jesus. And then I want to bring you to the point where we apply this to what is happening today in our world, in our society, in our culture, because we're very concerned about it, aren't we, ladies and gentlemen? We're very concerned. But there is an answer. Is that my water or probably? <laughs> Usually. Or Luada's. Wait, where's Luada? <laughs> anyway, so she just... 
it's really touched my heart when she asked me that. So I want to tell you the story. Of It all started with a man when he was a little boy. And I want you to see how this man affected the whole world. He was a little boy around six years old. And he would go up. He had a room upstairs, real second or third floor. And he would write little love notes to Jesus on a piece of paper. And then he'd go to the window and he would just sail those little love notes out, hoping that somehow Jesus would get that little little airplane and read that love note from him. And he did it all the time. Just a precious little heart. Now I want to bring you to the time he's 20 years old. He still loves the Lord, but he still needs more. I mean, he's saved. He's probably filled with the Spirit. Not sure yet, but... One day, he's in his 20s. Now, by now, his name is Ludwig von Zinzendorf. And by now, he has inherited a massive amount of money. And he doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> That's crazy, huh? <laughs> a lot of money. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And so, he's, he's traveling Europe. He's looking around at all the museums in Europe. And he walks into a museum. And he sees a picture an old, ancient picture of Jesus Christ. It's called Eke Homo. Behold the man. And it's showing him after he'd been beaten and thorn-crowned, but before the cross. And when young Ludwig von Zindendorf looks at that picture, I want you to see what's down below. You guys down there, if you want to come back and, and, and look up, it might be easier for you. It's up to you, but... I mean, you're the bosses, so I, I don't mean to tell you what to do. <laughs> At the bottom of the picture, it said, I did this for you. What have you done for me? And when Ludwig read those words, it broke him. It broke him in repentance. He said, oh, God, I haven't done anything for you. I want to, but I don't know what to do. I've got all this money, and I don't know what to do with it. What can I do for you? By then, missions, this is the 1700s. Missions have not fully taken off yet. And so he's praying all afternoon, asking God, what can I do? What can I do? He doesn't know. But he leaves, and one of the first things he did, and it was already in action, is that he bought an estate, a beautiful estate there in Germany. And one day, very soon after this, a man, a leader of the Moravians comes to him, and he says, now Moravians were great Christians in, in, there in Germany, but they were being persecuted for their faith. And, and this man, Christian David, asks, that was his name, that asked Count Zinzendorf, could we bring our Moravians, by the way, they were they were descendants of John Huss. They were called Hussites, too. John Huss was burned to the stake because he believed in the gospel. But in that day, you know, it was all about, I don't want to criticize another church, but it was all about what the, the head guy said, we'll put it that way, and not John Huss, who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Moravians were very deep and sincere Christians, and so they came on they, uh, Zinzendorf thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is what I can do for the Lord. So he opened the door to them. And they came, about 300 of them, to his beautiful estate there in Germany. But it wasn't long before there was all this 
this bickering and just, you know, just kind of competition, jealousy, things that get into Christian groups sometime. And, and it bothered this young, innocent, sincere man comes into the door. And he went to the Lord and he prayed and prayed. He said, I don't know what to do. But the Lord gave him a scripture from Leviticus 6.13 that says, Never let the fire burn out. Keep it burning on the altar. Well, to him that meant keep prayer going all the time. So he gathered everyone together and he said, let's pray. Let's start praying together. Let's start praying together more often. But one day, this is August 27th, 1747. 1727, I should say. August 27th, 1720s, the dates don't matter, but, but I, I, they did to me, kind of. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's, he, he, he's praying, praying, God, what do I do? The Lord shows him, let's have communion. Let's have the Lord's Supper. Let's remember Jesus. And when he prepares for that, he remembers something. He recalls that picture he once saw of Jesus and how it broke him. It melted his heart in a million pools. And he starts saying, Jesus, could I just talk about the cross with these precious people? And he preaches a sermon called Christ Crucified. And the people are broken. Repentance falls on them just like it fell on Count Zinzendorf when he first saw that picture. And so the people are repenting and they're getting right with one another. But then the Holy Spirit breathes on the whole group. He sweeps into the room. And this was called the Moravian Pentecost. The power of God swept through that place. And out of that, an explosion of prayer that went on 24-7 for how many years, anybody? There you go, 100 years. Thank you, brother, and some others of you. Can you imagine? All day, all night, every, someone was always praying, always praying. Praying for souls, praying for missions, praying for God's will to be done on, you know, whatever it was in their hearts to pray. But especially they were praying for revival that would never, never, never burn out. Amen. Hallelujah. And when the Holy Spirit went, oh, is that what you're hungry for? Praise the Lord, okay. Oh, do it, Jesus, do it. So that day when the Holy Spirit sweeps in upon them. And the 24-7 prayer starts. And missions now begin to explode. And people would say, what is, what is going on with you people? Why are you so, so passionate? What is the, the secret of your commitment? I mean, they were saying that all over the world. They had such an influence on John Wesley, on the Great Awakening, on Jonathan Edwards, on George Whitfield, on the Great Awakening in Europe. The Moravians, they were tremendous. But what was their secret? Well, let me tell you this story. I, I think I told it to one of the aglows sometime this year. But let me say it again for everyone's sake, if you haven't heard it. It's such a well-known story. One day, two young men had decided they had to go to the mission field. There was an island where slaves were being tortured and beaten and made to work and never allowed, never allowed to ever express their faith. And the owner of the slaves was an atheist. And he said, if any Christian ever comes to this island, we will lock them up. 
if there's a shipwreck or something where we need to help them, we'll just lock them up because we're not going to have our island infected with Christianity. Now, I'm telling you the story of the Moravians, okay? So these two young men hear about that island and these slaves, and they want, oh, so badly, they want to go to them and tell them how to be saved, how to know Jesus, how to know God, how to find the Father. So they decide they're going to just give themselves into missions to this island. But they find out they can't go. They can't get there. They find out what will happen if they do. The only way they can go is if they sell themselves into slavery. And that's what they did for the rest of their lives. They joined the slave by giving up everything and becoming part of them. And that's just one of the stories. But the most important part of that story is here they are. They're on the, and, and this is something I just want you to grasp hold of. They're on the boat, the, the front of the boat, the bow of the boat. The boat is scudding out across the water. The loved ones are all on the, on the land. They're watching their sons. They're, they're, one of them, I believe, was engaged. They're watching their, their brothers, these two young men that they loved. One is in his 20s, one is in his 30s. And they're watching them leave, knowing they'll probably surely never see them again. And as their, their boat is floating out across the water, one of the young men stands up in the bow of the boat, and thunderously he cries. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And the whole group just explodes in praise and worship and, and in devotion and in, in sacrificial giving of these two young men they loved. But that became the anthem of the Moravians. And it has lived through the years. What a powerful word it is. And that's why when Elizabeth said, I, I want you to tell them about that. I, it's so meaningful to me. It has been ever since I saw it, I don't know, probably 30, 40 years ago when I saw that and read about the Moravians. It's, think about it. If you prayed every day, Jesus, may the lamb who is slain receive the reward of his suffering in my life. How would that change things? Oh, God. Pray with me, please. Oh, God, raise up a people who will bring Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the reward of his sacrifice. Lord, do it again in America, in this earth, in these nations that are suffering so badly because of all, really just because of the eruption of sin. <laughs> only Jesus, only Jesus. So I want to take a few moments just to focus on him. And here's how I want to do it. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 24. And I'm going to read it to you from my Bible. This is called the Great Ascension Psalm. I'm going to read from verses 7 through 10. So do whatever you want. Just listen or, or look it up. Verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. That word ancient means everlasting. Everlasting. They've, they've been forever doors that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? One of the younger angels says, like a little cherub or something, I don't know. Said, but, but, but who is this king of glory? The answer comes. 
the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. See, he's just come from the battlefield of the cross, from the glory of the resurrection, the beauty of the ascension. He's standing outside the gates. Can you picture that? In fact, I'll give you a little picture. As he rises, he ascends, and he's standing outside the gates. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And here's the question again. Who is this king of glory? Well, who is he? We know who he is. But I want you to remember. I want you to think about. This is he. Now, this picture doesn't fully show this. but So you can just imagine it with your own, own eyes, your own eyes of your heart. Here he comes. This is the one coming into heaven, coming through those ancient doors, those ancient gates. He is the one whose, whose eyes spill tears, blood-stained tears dripping down his face. This is the one who had thorns pierced into his brow with blood soaking down his face into his nose and ears and mouth. This is our Lord Jesus you say, I'm not saying that's how he looks in, in, in this picture now. I'm saying this is the one who did this, who came all the way from heaven to bear that price on the cross. This is the one whose cheeks were bathed in blood because the beard had been torn out, ripped out of, his, of the face, of his skin, of his face. This is the one whose hands bled from nail holes and feet where they had been spiked up to a cross. This is the one standing outside the gate, coming into heaven. Can't wait to get back to his father God, whose back was shredded. Now, I know sometimes people use that light term with uh, cat of nine tails. That doesn't describe it. It was called the Roman flagellum. It had bits of bone and metal that cut into his flesh and ripped out great hunks of human flesh. Some of you might say, oh, I don't want to think about that. It's too gory. Oh, Willie, if he went through that for us, can't we at least stop and look? I mean, if it were not for the blood. And Charles Spurgeon said, if we're going to be squeamish about the blood, we should have been squeamish about the sin that first caused the blood to roll. Amen? Yeah. But if it were not for the blood, we could never be saved. 1 John 1, 7 says, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Oh, I thank God for the blood, for every drop of that precious blood. And that whip, that scourge wrapped around his chest and again tore out great hunks of, of human flesh. But we often stop right there. And we get kind of sentimental about the wounds. And I love the wounds. Don't get me wrong. They're powerful and they're precious. And it's through those wounds we are healed. Thank God. But I want you to go even deeper right now. Because not only that, but God, when the sky turned black, this is the one who there on the cross. God. And I'm just asking you to remember the cross. We're having Easter next week. We don't even call it Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. Amen. <laughs> but here, this is the one who God opened heaven and roared all the filth and sewage of human sin down upon the innocent, pure Lamb of God. And he took that on himself. 
But that's still where we usually stop. This is the one, brothers and sisters, who rolled in a bloody sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane. Bloody sweat, yes. Why? Why? Because he was looking into the Father's cup. What was that cup? It was the punishment, the wrath, the judgment of God that would pour down upon the innocent Lamb of God and completely, it says in Hebrews, annihilate sin in him. Annihilate our sin so that if we run to him and we cry out for the blood, we confess our sin, the blood of Jesus will wash us clean. But he did it on the cross. Amen. Thank you. Oh, y'all are so good. Y'all are so responsive. And I think the part, maybe the part that hurts me the most or when I think about it is when there's not, it's when Jesus couldn't take any more of that cup of punishment, that cup of wrath. You know, it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And I know we know that, and it, but sometimes we just kind of don't really let it pierce our hearts. It doesn't go in. We need, friends, we're in dire times. We must have an answer for what is happening in this world. It cannot, we cannot go on status quo because when we have, look what's happened. But when Jesus couldn't take any more on the cross from drinking that cup, he just couldn't bear one more drop. That's when he cried out. It's called the cry of dereliction. It's really, that, that's an old word that meant abandonment. Can I, can I say it to you kind of like he said it? And sometimes it's just a little too much for people to hear, but I just think y'all... Y'all are y'all be okay with it? Are you, is that okay, guys? <laughs> I mean, it absolutely breaks my heart to bring you this. But the scholars tell us that he he cried this cry with a deep animal guttural like roar. This is the middle cry on the cross of the seven uh, utterances that he gave on the cross. The middle, the central. As Jesus pushes down on the spike in his feet to lift his lungs for air. And he roars out, not just to the people there, but to God in heaven, his beloved father. And the father hears it, and it pierces his heart. I want to give it to you first in Aramaic as he cries. Eloi, Eloi, lava sabachthani, which means, my God. God, why have you forsaken me? How could he say that? Because he was forsaken. And there's some of you here tonight that you feel forsaken by God. But listen, I promise you this. Jesus was forsaken so that you would never, never, never be forsaken by God. I'm hoping we can do some ministry along that line. This weekend, maybe even tonight, Charles Spurgeon said, don't ever take out what he did, the cup, the, the judgment. The, don't take that out of the gospel, which we rarely hear about anymore. He said it's like disemboweling the gospel. That's kind of, think about that word, disembowel. means gut it, like gutting a fish. That's gutting the gospel from its, it's the deepest and most powerful thing to happen. Jonathan Edwards said, the principal reason that Jesus came to earth was to drink that cup. So here is the one 
entering the gates of heaven. And he can hardly wait to get back to the arms of his father. And the father stands there. Oh, we heard a word tonight about the throne. The father stands there at the throne. His arms are outstretched. He is longing for his son. He sees him coming. Jesus trembles as he rushes forward. Angels stand in awe. Listen, I, I don't know how to tell you how much. I don't even know, but I like to think into these things that are in Scripture to try to understand what this really means. There's a story in Scripture. I want to pause right here and bring you that story. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I just want to take this little portion from the, the Bible movie. I want you to see the passion of this father as he gets reunited. I'm going to pull this up a little bit if I can. Now, here's the father. Well, I see the sound's not on. That might have something to do with the back. No, it's me. Well, usually it's me. But I can tell you what's happening. Try to, try to follow it anyway. The son has carried the wood on his shoulders up the hill of Moriah, which is very close to where Jesus Christ was later crucified. And he's now he's saying, Father, Father, you know, the father takes his arm and he ties him up. What I'm really, I know you know the story, but what I'm trying to see, I'm trying to show you is the, is the emotion between the father and the son when they're reunited. Now, of course, Sarai is, is uh, she knows her husband. She knows what he's, he, he might do. You don't have any, any well, HDMI cord should bring sound. Oh. Where's my pro? Where's my little pro thing with it? Because you knew everything. Hannah. Now listen. This is, a, I know you know this, but there's another video I don't want you to miss the sound on. Here it comes. Abraham is getting ready to lower the knife into his son's heart. Watch. As the angel on the mountain cries out and says, Abraham. And then Abraham looks. He stops and he looks. And he sees a lamb. Then you know the scripture. You probably know it says a ram. Oh, you have a sound cord. I hope so. Um, let's see. I think it's over here on this side. What is a ram? It's a baby lamb. But listen, that's the part I want you to see mostly. Oh, thank you. I just want to grab that precious moment. <laughs> my son, my son, they're reunited. It's a picture of God the Father restored to his son. All oh, this is there for, we, for, we, for us to know Jesus Christ in the whole word of God, a progressive revelation of Jesus. Thank you, Don. You're wonderful. And finally, the son, and no picture can ever do it justice, but the son reaches the arms of his father and falls into his father's arms as together they weep. I can just hear the son saying, Abba, 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 Abba. You know, that intimate name of father. 
means daddy. And, and, and oh, excuse me, this is, this is deep stuff. God and God embrace. God and God embrace. And I can hear the son, or the, the father saying, son, my beloved, my beloved. As this great work is, has just taken place. And as they cry in each other's arms, it's a triune reunion because the Holy Spirit is part of this too. They weep together. And then, and I believe this is when, the Father steps back and he thunders out across eternity, the universe. And he says, behold, the Lamb slain from before the creation of the world. This has always been God's plan. First Peter 1.19 says that he was the lamb chosen before the creation of the world. <coughs> Revelation 13.8 says he's a lamb slain before creation. This is all biblical. And so now all heaven explodes with love, love, love for the lamb. With worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. And Jesus sits down on the throne of God. Are you focusing on him? Because it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And we're hungry for you, Lord. Now, those eyes that once dripped with bloody tears, they sparkle with fire, flames of fire. Now that face, which was bruised and swollen, now shines like the sun, the Bible says. His body is clothed in light and brilliance. His feet burn like burnished brass. If you have a, a passion, of, let's see, the Passion Bible, he, he gives him one of his footnotes that everywhere he walks now, he lights fires. And he's wanting to light fires here with you. He wants to light fires of revival in this earth and his, because his feet are like burning brass. You know, I'm taking most of this from uh, Revelation 1, from what John saw. And now his hands bleed glory. Have you ever thought about that? But that's what the scripture says. Habakkuk 3, 4 says splendor, rays of splendor flow from his hands. Where, his, where the, this is the hiding place of his power. Habakkuk 3, 4. So I just want to read to you something from my book, I'm done. I hope y'all will get this book because, well, I'm not even going to tell you why. Let me just read you this little precious portion. Envision him now, standing next to his father. Joy exudes from his heart, and his laughter ripples through the courts. He smiles, and glory drenches eternity. His eyes wash heaven with love. Now he slowly lifts his arms. Streams of splendor shine out from the glorified lamb. His glory illumines all of heaven like a bright chandelier. He looks like a fountain of light. Yes, the glorified lamb is the generating force, the source of God's eternal light. Do you remember in the beginning when God said, let there be light? And that was before sun and moon and stars were created. God was unveiling his eternal sun. And light burst forth into the universe. Eternal light. God's light. 
And there's a scripture in first jo in John, first couple of verses there that say that, and oh, that one in Corinthians where it says, "Oh Lord, help me remember that." It says, "And now we have the light of the glory of God that shines, that God said shine out of darkness, and now shines in our own hearts. That same light that burst forth at the creation, not before, but at the creation, now shines in our hearts, and it's the light of Jesus Christ." Yes, now the glorified lamb. He is the headwaters, the wellspring, the fountainhead of glory. He, and this is from Hebrews, is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light being, the outraying of the divine. He is the central sun of the universe. He's the lamp of all heaven. He's the day star from on high. And Charles Spurgeon says these beautiful words. He said, he is the sun of our day. He's the star of our night. He is our life. He is our life's life. He is our heaven on earth. And he shall be our heaven in heaven. And now, let's see if I have that verse next. I think I might have it. Yeah, the next one. Let me show you this verse. Oh, we could look it up. It's, it's Revelation chapter 5, verse, verse 6, I believe. John hears a voice that says, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> and he looks up expecting to see a lion, but what does he see? The Bible says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing, and this is what I want you to see, standing in the center of, of the throne. And then if you go over to John, uh, Revelation 7, 17, it says, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Friends, this is what I'm trying to say. If Jesus is the center of the throne, of course, the Father's right there with him. But if he's the center of the throne in heaven, shouldn't he be the center of the throne in the church? Shouldn't he be central? <laughs> Shouldn't he be the center of our hearts, of our lives, of our teachings, of our ministry? But how long has it been since you've heard a message about the blood of the Lamb, about the cross, about his wounds, about the gospel? I mean, I know you love, I know a glow loves the cross, no doubt. But what would happen if a glow began to just bring the glory of the Lamb, the power of the gospel, the power of the blood to the nations of this earth, what do you think, what kind of effect would that have? You know, I've, I've believed this, that one reason we've been shaking so much, not just us, but the whole world, it's because God is trying to bring his church back to the place where we keep the gospel centered, the lamb central, the God, Jesus Christ, just Jesus. Come on. Oh, y'all are great. Sometimes I'll say something like that and they'll go, I've never heard that before. And y'all are, yeah, come on. Amen. Oh, listen, it hurts my heart. When I hear people say, oh, good, you're going to teach on the cross. Well, we need that, you know. That's one of the spokes of the wheel. I, it just hurts my heart. 
And I want to say, no, he's not a spoke of the wheel. He's the hub. He's the central hub of the wheel, isn't he? Or they might say, well, you know, that's one of many streams. I mean, I hear this a lot and have been for 30, 40 years. And I want to say, oh, there's a river that flows from the heart of the Lamb. And all streams run back into that river. Remember that great scripture in Romans that says, from him and through him and back to him are all things. Everything, if it's a true Christian subject, it flows from him and through him and back. Just think, think about prophecy. What does it say? The spirit of prophecy, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Amen. Oh, listen, it's time. It's time to bring the cross and the blood and the lamb back to the center of the church. And here we are next week. It's Resurrection Day. And Lueda's going to be preaching on the hill by the empty cross because the cross is empty. And what do you suppose she's going to preach about? Woo, Jesus. And by the way, I walked in this room tonight, you know, and I was a little bit late. I walked in here and I, wow, the presence of God was so strong. I thought I'd fall on my face. It was tremendous. Thank you, Lord. But let me ask you this. In fact, I asked this sentence, I asked this in the very opening sentence of this book. I don't get a penny off my books. It all just goes into ministry. But here's my question. How long has it been since you have wept over the cross of your Lord? Boy, I hadn't. So many years I had not. I had cried more tears over the death of my dog than over the death of my Lord. Oh, dear God. Oh, friends, don't you know? How do you think the Father feels when he looks down on this earth? And how does Jesus feel when he looks down on this planet and he sees what's happening? Now, I'm going to get real practical with you. We've been quite in a lofty place looking at Christ on the throne, but I want to get practical for a moment. Look at what is happening in our nation today as crime is filling the streets and many of it's young people and teenagers, millennials. Look at what is happening to children as, as they're being bullied, bullied and broken. Or our teenagers cutting themselves. There's so many things we could say. Teenagers confused about their gender, getting hormones and bodily mutilation. It breaks our hearts. And we look at this and we say, what is happening and we look at all the teenage suicides. Did you know that 5,240 attempted suicides happen every year? I didn't say committed. I said attempted suicides every year with our teenagers. It's a cry for help. And 63% of, of those who commit suicide or attempt suicide are from fatherless homes. Oh, Lord. And now... Not just now, it's been happening a lot, and that is the school shootings. And we're broken over what happened this week, aren't we? And we look at that, and we say, what can we do? We wring our hands. There have been 288 school shootings, and this is really, I got this statistic a couple of years ago, 
But since 2009, there have been 288 school shootings. But get this. I was just telling Elizabeth this the other day. If you took all the school shootings in the whole world, and remember, the whole world has schools. They have to educate their children. But if you took all the school shootings and you put them all together and then compared that to America's school shootings, we have 57 times more school shootings than the whole world put together in America. What is happening in this, in this country? And we see the suffering of kids. How do you think this kind of trauma is going to affect these kids? What do you think, Dr. Birdie? This has been your field. I mean, trauma with these teenagers. After seeing their students, their friends, their best friends dying on the school. I know this is heavy stuff. But it's reality. And I want to bring this down home where we are. And we can't just always talk about the throw. We want to bring it. We want to bring just Jesus to this earth. Amen. There are, now this again is about two years old, but 215,000 young people traumatized from what they saw during the school shooting. Our babies, friends, our babies are drowning. But in the midst of it all, something is happening. What is it? Oh, I wish I had sound. But I can show it to you. And Do we have sound now? Oh, good. Jesus has breathed upon a young generation. And we saw it. We saw it all over television, YouTube. And I'll try to take you into this beautiful, beautiful place at Asbury. And I don't know if that's going to play because funny things happen when but you know the story. God breathed upon these, these young college students. And even though, you know, we might look at that and go, well, I don't see anybody, you know, a lot of the dramatic things that happen, and it's real. But they still, the Holy Spirit breathed on them, and they knew it. And they were giving their lives back to God. It was changing everything. And then it began to spread to other college campuses. And, you know, it's, it's, it's shifting and it's changing, but it was a, in a, in a sense, well, I think it was like a, a signal. It was like a sign from heaven, what we've been waiting for. It's here. It's here. It's here. Now, what could we do about it? I mean, we're not kids, but we're moms, we're grandmamas, we're grandpapas. And we, you know, we pray for our kids and our grandkids. But I want to show you something. I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to see this. Oh, this is one of our students. I mean, how can you stop drugs? How can you stop all these different things that are happening? Let me stop that just for a second. I want you to see this young man. His name is Joshua Kelly. You've met his dad. Some of you have met his dad, uh, um, Doug Kelly. <laughs> He's done some worship with the glow and with uh, fire, fire and glory. Yeah. This is his son. He's about 22 years old. You say, well, how can he do this? This is a public school. Now, I'm going to show you something very dramatic about this, but I want you to see it. This really happened May 18th, 2018. Note the date, May 18th, 2018. Let's listen to what, what Joshua said. I'm going to go back to the beginning of it. Oh, come on now. I mean, how can you stop drugs? Listen, how can you stop mad. all these different they're things mad. that are happening in the world? The answer is 
Jesus yeah. in a public school. Secular public school. You can have all the programs that you want. You can have all the, all the activities that you want. But there is only one person that can change the youth of America. There is only one person that can change your life today. And his name is Jesus. Yeah. If you will reach out to him, if you will surrender your life today, I promise you this, you will never be the same. I want you to make a public declaration right now. And we're going to ask those. And the reason why we want you to come forward is because I'm going to call some youth pastors up in just a second. We're going to give you some stuff. We want to follow that on you guys. Listen to this right here. But I want you to be very serious right now. If your life were to end 30 minutes from now, where would you go? There's only two places. You cannot get to heaven by being a good person. You cannot go to heaven by doing good deeds. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in his word, there is only one way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Now, let me tell you what happened. This was May 18, 2018, in Foley, Alabama, just 20 minutes from our camp. That young man has been through our camp all these years. I, and I don't mean it. I just, and then he kind of like, look what we did. Oh, God, that would be awful. But he got the gospel, and he burns for it, and he preaches everywhere he could go. He preaches the cross and the blood and the lamb. And he's seeing tremendous results. But I want you to see what happened that same day. In a school in Texas, Santa Fe, Texas, and the police come in. Thirteen students are slaughtered, two teachers. May 18, 2018. Now back to, let's go back to the Foley School, and I want you to see. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to give you hope. I'm trying to give you an answer. Look at what happens at Joshua School, at this secular public school. Oh, this has got to work. Everybody. It gives an altar call. You want Jesus in your life? Come forward. Here they come. He thought it'd be 12 kids, maybe. What's happening? Come on. Come, come, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about that. I got to tell you, that day, 500 students came into that gym, and they were free. They didn't have to come. This was, a, this was just a Christian club that invited a young evangelist. That's legal. It is, it is uh, constitutional. It's in the books. And some schools probably, the principal might say, that's not legal. Well, you're just going to have to challenge them because it is legal. Yeah, and it can be proven. Thank you. Come on. Well... So now we see the contrast. We see a school where the gospel is presented. And do you know how many came forth that day? 250 students. 250 in one day. And they went home glowing with the glory of God. But in another school, a thousand kids at Santa Fe High School went home traumatized for what had happened in their school. 
Oh, friends, we need the gospel. And I say we need it back in our public schools. We had it in my day. Any of you all old enough to remember when scripture was read and prayers were prayed and, and, and the Bible was, was read? Oh, I remember that so well. My parents were atheists, but that influenced me. And I finally was able to find how to find God, but that's not my story today. Listen, there's things we can do. I know a glow is, is really proactive. I know that. You've always been that way. And, and you know what are your main, I, I mean, I believe this is it. Your main thrust has been prayer and missions, evangelism, right? Yes. But what would happen? We've got some things coming up. Lueda is holding a tent revival, a tent, I don't know if you can call it revival yet, but if God falls, it will be, out in the public arena, guess where? Is that okay to say, where's Lueda? Is that okay? Is that a secret? Walmart parking lot or nearby. How does that sound? Look, I want to see the day where we have an open air meeting. Doesn't have to have a tent at uh, Shriner University or other places like this. I think there's a way. I've been reading into their rules. Does anybody know some Christians that go to Shriner? If you do, let me know. Kids, let me know. Because there's something we can do to have our own Christian club. Anyway, some things are happening. Get in on it, y'all. Come. Support this that Lueda's doing. Support what all, all these wonderful things that are happening. I think they're going to just keep happening once she finally gets that off the ground. And here's another really good idea. There is a little book called Lueda. Have any of you read it? Did it blow you away? Yeah. Were you impacted? When I see people that I think are kind of down and out, I just love to go up and say, I'd like to give you this book if, if you'll read it, if you promise me you'll read it. And when they read it, they read stories of a little girl, how her life was so changed. And I've got a mama sitting over here right now that her daughter was in all kinds of trouble, but she read this book. And her life is changing right now. It's Ada's daughter. Um, Molly, Molly. Y'all, we can, we, we can buy these and give them away. I know. They have power in them. They can help people. Anyway, a lot of things. I think Aglow is in such an amazing position. And the part that I love the most is that you have chapters of Aglow in 171 nations of the earth. I don't even know of another organization that, that can, can say that. Do you all? Who else? I mean, what an opportunity. So I just pray that God will put it in your heart to want to bring Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the reward of his suffering. And I want to wind it down now. I want to tell you a story, and then I want to bring it to a close. This is a true story of a little mother from Romania. You've probably heard of Richard Warnbrand, her husband. Her name was Sabina. Her little boy's name was Mihai. The communists came. Ceausescu was the dictator of, of Romania. And they came, and they got the Christians, and they, were, they put them in jail, in prison. 
And they separated the husbands and wives and separated the children. And for the mothers, they would put the women in one room and the children in the room right next to them. And they would beat those little children and the mothers could hear their little ones cry. And then they'd go next door and, 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 and they'd beat the mothers. And the children could hear their mothers crying. Unbelievable cruelty. For 14 years, Richard Wormbrand was in prison like that. Much crueler, you know, his body was just beaten to a pulp in many ways. But one night, one day, the communists came to Sabina, the mama. And you can feel her heart. You can imagine how she felt. She had not seen her little boy now in years. They had taken those children. They just thrown them out on the street to live as little urchins, little, little orphans. She did not even know if he was still alive. But the communists came and said, if you women will work hard, really hard, carrying big heavy rocks from the river up the hill, and if we think you've done enough work, we will give you an opportunity. We'll find your child and we'll bring your child to you for 10 minutes. Oh, <laughs> you know, Sabina was just broken at the concept. I heard her tell this story. So she, she just worked, a oh, little, little thin little lady, but she worked as hard as she could carrying heavy rocks from the river up the hill until she was just almost broken. And finally the communists came to her and he, they said, I've I, I got to stop thinking about how this story ends or I'm going to start crying before I finish. So uh, I've got to stay on, on target here because the communists came to her and they said, you have earned 10 minutes with your little boy. We will find him and we will bring him to you. She was thrilled. Finally, the day came. Well, all this time, while she was waiting for the day to come, she kept thinking, 10 minutes. What can a mother say in 10 minutes? I mean, I need to say to him something that's really important. I don't know what to say. But, but oh, God, help me say the right thing. I mean, these, this was a Christian family. So she was thinking of all the things she could say. She borrowed a scarf from one of her friends to cover over the, the holes that are in her little dress. She was just pitiful. But she didn't want her son to be embarrassed or, or sad. And so finally they brought Mihai to her. And there was a fence, a, you know, like a hurricane fence separating them. And all they could do is just touch their fingers and cry. And all this time she keeps... Mihai, and, and she tries to talk, but she can't get the words out. They stick in her throat, and finally the communists come, and they grab her. They grab the, the little boy, and they begin dragging him away. And she's thinking, oh, no, no. I didn't get to tell him anything. I, I, this was my only opportunity. But finally, as they're dragging him away, the words burst up out of her throat. And she cries to her little boy, Mihai, love Jesus with all of your heart. And then they drag him off and they beat her to bits. Not death, but you know, beat her for doing that. But that little mother found the nugget. The greatest thing is just Jesus. It's Christ, Paul said, I, have, I glory only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He said, I've determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, the message of the cross is the power of God. John the Baptist, you know, he said, one of the greatest sermons, Charles Spurgeon said, this is one of the greatest sermons ever preached, but John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That cry is, may the Lamb who is slain receive the reward of his suffering. He deserves, he deserves everything we have. Everything. He deserves it. The Lord took me to the scripture this morning. I, I kept thinking of that word, deserves, deserves. He deserves to be loved. He is preeminent. Y'all had a, a first, I mean, a Colossians 1, um, 13 through 18, I think, 15 through 18 on one of your brochures. And 18 says that he did all this so that he, Christ would be preeminent, central, above all. He deserves to be worshipped by the nations. He deserves to be exalted by each one of us. You know what the scripture says. And having humbled himself, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is really just Jesus so I just want to close with this scripture. It's Revelation 5, 16. John says, Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels. 10,000, you know, K means thousand. 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands. 10 million, that is. No, I was wrong. I looked it back at my notes. It wasn't 10 million. That is 110 million angels like in a big stadium of heaven worshiping the lamb and crying yelling out shouting deserving is the lamb who was sacrificed to receive all the power and wisdom and might and honor and majesty and glory and splendor and blessing he deserves everything how can anything be too much to give him but all of our hearts all of our lives all of our passion Nehi, children, your children, my children, love Jesus with all of your heart. Now I want to ask, I want to ask you tonight, let me pray first. Father, I feel you calling over your people, saying, will you turn your heart away from false motives and self-ambitions and all the little things that get into our lives to live for one great and high purpose, to be a Christian for one great cause, to bring Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the reward of his suffering. And if you would, I just want to ask everyone to stand. got some notes is any passion too extreme is any commitment too deep is any sacrifice too radical may the Moravians be an example to all of us and may we make Jesus the highest purpose of our life would you 
be willing to say, I want that. I may not even know how to. But would you be willing to step forward tonight and say, I at least want to pray. I want to pray and ask God to put this passion in my heart. I've lost some of my passion, but I want to burn. I want to burn for the great purposes of God. I want to bring Jesus what he deserves with my life. Yes. So if that's you, would you just come on up here quickly? I hope that's most of you. But don't come if you don't mean it. Well, who's going to be first? I guess we're not shy here, are we? <laughs> it's just the girls and a few brave guys. Come on, you are first. to search our hearts. Some of us need to say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry I haven't I haven't burned for the Lamb. I haven't preached Jesus to my children. Well, I guess you have. But I haven't made it my first priority. Lord God, we want the cross to be central again. We want the Lamb to be central again. Would you do this, my heart? Say, God, I'm sorry. I've cried more tears over the death of my, my God. Some of us would say that I sure did than over the death of my Lord. My God, forgive me. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring conviction to those of us who need conviction. Come, Holy Spirit. Prepare us for what you want to do in our lives in a glow, in America, in our homes. Oh, God. Oh, God. Just put your hand on your heart and just let the Holy Spirit show you if you need to tell him you're sorry about anything. Anything, especially the neglect of the cross. In fact, would you just picture Jesus Christ crucified? Just picture him there and look into his eyes and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry I cringed away from your blood. I'm sorry I wasn't burning for the gospel. Let me be a torch in your hands. Use me again, Lord. You say, oh, I'm too old. Oh, really? Listen, it's going to take maturity to see this and to begin to step out in it and to bring it forth. And there's so many things you could do to serve Jesus. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you now. Would you do that? Would you just give yourself to him afresh? Jesus, I give myself to you to serve you, to love you, to tell of you, to honor you, to lift you up, to lift you up, to call people to receive Christ. To, Lord, we don't, you know, a lot of us aren't going to go out on the street and, and street preach. I mean, some of us will, 
but not many of us. But man, we can tell our children, we can tell our grandchildren, we can tell uh, little Sunday school classes, we can, we can tell people about the Lamb. The Lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. Would you anoint me for that, Lord? If that's how you feel, ask Him to anoint you for that. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Don't, don't come out of this place. Stay in this place. Thank you, Lord. Just sing something a little more. Uh, I mean, not a beat. I don't mean it that way. I mean, just, you know, like worthy of it all. And so they can all be praying okay. and just giving themselves to God. Okay. This is not about someone laying hands on you, but it may, we may, we probably will. But it's what you're doing right now with God. You are worthy of